everybody. Welcome back to the First Gear Podcast. We have a special guest with us tonight. Uh, Tanner, you brought your dad with you tonight. Yes, I did. This is awesome. So, Tracy, we're very happy to have you here. Um, I think it's cool that you took the time out of your day to come down and just, you know, record a couple hours with us and just hang out. Like, this is going to be fun. Yeah, it's always fun to talk about racing. That is a fact. Big part of our lives, so that's uh, always enjoyed uh, watching and talking about it. Oh, yeah. Well, you guys are really- we pretty much started this show because Eric and I would talk on the phone for like three hours about racing and nonsense. We're like, we need to make a podcast out of this, and this is where we're at. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's how most podcasts end up starting. The one that I did before, uh, that's exactly what it was. We would spend hours uh, like driving around in cars and stuff just talking about cars and life and stuff going on. And we just decided, hey, we might as well start recording a show about this just to get it out there. Yep. Well, here we are. We're already a month into it, man. Yeah. Yeah. And we got our first guest, which is awesome. I'm excited about this. Yeah, this is going to be cool. Hell Hell yeah. yeah. So So, I'm ready. You guys want to roll right into it. What happened this past weekend? We were, they were at Phoenix International Raceway Championship Weekend for all three series. We got three new champions after this weekend, which is fun. Yeah. And a couple new names and uh, all three races were pretty good. I was, uh, I was impressed how well the racing was between all three. I was kind of skeptical about the cup race, but it was actually a little better than I expected. Same. Uh, the cup, even though Logano pretty much dominated, it was still fun to watch. Like there was still, he got from pit stop troubles to all kinds of other stuff. He got shuffled back a couple of times and I didn't know whether he would have the speed to catch back up and get back by those guys but he did so it worked out yeah he definitely had to earn it in a few areas uh, oh it was given to him and he drove hard and got it done yes sir he did a good job actually all three of them did that was kind of the one common denominator between all three series was the fact that the three guys both had the vehicle to beat truck car whatever and they kept getting shuffled back in traffic, would have to work their way back up through traffic and then just kind of go from there. Yeah. And the worst part about this is, is you got one pick right and I got none right. So, <laughs> hey, I was just happy that Zane Smith won. Like, yeah, it, that- the truck series is real. That was my favorite race, too. Like, out of the three, that was the, in my opinion, that was the best racing that you would have seen this weekend. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, the top four, man, they were, they were right with each other the whole night. Um, the heartbreak for Ty Majeski that, that sucked. I was really, really hoping he was going to have a, have the truck to beat there at the end, but man, they just had everything that could go wrong. Yeah. Same. It sucks that he just got into the wall, like all of a sudden, just right. it was just bad luck, misfortune. He was just in the wrong place in the wrong time, going too hard and just got into the wall. Yeah, and he was uh I think he was trying to pass Zane there, I think late in the third stage, and yep. that's when he got loose and spun out and pretty much ended his night. But they just their truck just wasn't there all night. It no. wasn't what I was expecting, and I'm sure it's definitely not what he was expecting, but that's just how it goes in this playoff 
platform that they do, I mean, you cannot have a bad race. No. And that's kind of the crazy thing too, is you can have a dominant year, have the best car most of the year too. Kind of like Chase, he had the, he was the, you know, regular season champion, did really well the whole season. And then final race, bad luck, get spun out, hit the wall, stuff breaks. I think he bent the right front control or left front control arm because he hit the other side of the wall and just couldn't get back into it. Yeah. And, uh, NASCAR doesn't let you swap out those parts. If it would have been a tow link, they would have been able to swap it out, but they busted out the old school Porter power and got his wheels straight. I can't believe they were able to salvage it enough for him to even hit minimum speed. Right. He was making laps. It, you know, it was still 30th place, but I was just shocked that he was even out there running at all. Right. But just kind of to recap, too, we had Zane Smith win in the Truck Series. So he is your 2022 Truck Series champion, very much deserving of that. He's been to the Absolutely. race the past three years in a row, and he finally got it this year. Like last year, he didn't even have a ride or knew if he was going to have a ride for 2022. So he ended up getting, you know, getting a hand and got a ride with, I think it's Front Row Motorsports this year. And ended up winning the whole dang thing. So that's awesome. Yeah. And he even said in one of his interviews earlier in the week that, uh, that was the biggest factor for him that this year is he knew what his plans for next year were. And that was, he was able to focus a little bit more on trying to get the championship and it, it paid off. He was pretty dominant the whole race and Oh yeah. It was cool to see him win. Oh, a hundred percent. And then Ty Gibbs just, his car was half a tenth faster than everybody the whole race. Like, the, he just had the pace the entire day. Nobody could catch him. Even if he got back to, like, third, fourth, or whatever, he could just drive back up to the front. Yeah, and the JRM cars, they were they were fast. Justin and Noah, I mean, they were up front all day, but that long run speed of the 54 car, I mean, they just they couldn't even compete with it. Once Ty got out into clean air, he was it was pretty much game over. I know Noah tried throwing the Hail Mary there on the last lap, but, I mean, it just – yeah, he was too was, far back. There was nothing he could do. No. And everybody was also asking if he was going to do the, like, the Chastain move. And I was sitting there thinking, that ain't going to work at that track, the way that the wall rides there. The wall is not smooth the whole way around the racetrack. It, you have the safer barrier, and then it comes in, like, three feet to another safer barrier coming into turns three and four. And you can't wall yeah. ride because you'll just dig in and hit the wall real hard on the right front. So that wouldn't have worked there. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was pretty disappointing. I, I know Noah wanted that championship really bad, but he was a class act afterwards too. It just, he went yeah. up and he congratulated the whole 54 team. He congratulated Ty. I mean, he obviously has a very strong opinion about Ty, but, and he's, <laughs> he doesn't hide his feelings about that, but, um, no, he was just a class act, and it was it was really cool to see the sport needs more of that for sure. Me too. He called him a POS, and he went and, went and shook his hand. I thought that was funny. I know <laughs> it wasn't even like five minutes after that. It seemed like, and he was in victory lane, shaking his hand and everything. It's like, dude, you literally just called him a POS on live TV. Now, all right, good job. Yeah. <laughs> But and we don't have to talk too much about it, but like I know we've been talking a bunch of uh smack about Ty Gibbs' character and everything, but dude, what happened between Saturday and Sunday for the poor kid is just screwed up. Like you go from winning a championship, you're on a the high of highs. You just won something 
that very, very few people can say they've ever done. And then throughout the night, your dad passes away in his sleep. Like that just, no matter your feelings or whatever towards the kid, you, I just, I feel sorry for him. That would suck. Just, it just, that's a bad deal. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredibly sad. I mean, I don't think anybody really wishes that Ty would have won that championship, but the fact that he did win it and got to experience that with his dad, because yeah. he ultimately had no idea that was going to happen, obviously, but uh, getting to share that moment with him, that was pretty special. Oh, 100%. And at least they got that, because the Gibbs family has had problems losing people. JD a couple years ago and Al Coy, like, which is Ty's father, but like, no matter your feel, like I said, no matter what your feelings are of them, you gotta like have sympathy for it. I was, I made a slide earlier. I was like, no matter your feelings or whatever, you need to go like show some support for the poor kid. He's 20. Like he's not very old. He just had something horrible happen right after that. So. Yeah, that was, uh, that's incredibly sad. And it's, it's crazy that Coy and JD both passed away at 49 years old. That's a bad year, evidently, for people in NASCAR, because that was how old Dale was, too. Yeah, it, <laughs> that's crazy. But I am, I'm very happy for Ty that he got to experience that with his dad. That's uh, that's something he'll remember the, for the rest of his life. And Oh, for sure. That's just crazy. And kudos to him for taking all the grief the entire week and then just going and slaying the field Saturday. Clean, too. I yeah, mean, he didn't throw anybody. race. He was fast. He didn't ruffle any feathers. I mean, he just showed up and he went from being like the most hated guy in NASCAR to running a, the best race of his career, winning the championship and then being a the high of his life. And then to absolute rock bottom, losing his dad overnight. That's just a crazy amount of emotion he had to experience all within a week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said, that that's the epitome of a peak and just a very dark valley all in one day. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. No. But then we had, just to move on from that, so if you have not yet, like I said, go leave a comment, go show some kind of support if you're listening to the show to Ty. I know he, he won't see, may not see the comment or whatever, but he'll see the total. That's what I was thinking of. If he sees thousands of people reaching out in support, that's going to mean a lot to him. So... That's just, that's what I care about. I think that people should go do that. Yep. Show the whole Gibbs family some sympathy and the whole racing community is going to have their back for sure. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. He was an integral part of Gibbs too. Like he was next in line to take over for Joe. So now they got to figure something out too. It's not just Ty. It was the whole organization that lost a key member of the whole thing. Right. But. Man, then the Cup Series race, I don't know, like, how to put that together, really. That was basically Joey Logano, Joey Logano, Chase got wrecked, Joey Logano, that was it. <laughs> yep, and then Ryan Blaney showed his face for a while. That 12 car was stupid fast out of nowhere. Yeah, I think he got held back. This is just me speculating, but I think he was told to just kind of stay the course and you know, protect right. your teammate because Ross was catching up. He had a faster car towards the end of the race. He didn't have time, but he had a faster car. Yeah. But even if, uh, even if Ross would have got to him, I don't know if he would have had anything for him. I think Ross kind of used up his stuff trying to run him down. I mean, he, he cut over a second off of that lead. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I think he just kind of used his stuff up. 
Oh yeah. I think yeah. he cooked the right rear is what the problem was. Cause he had no drive off the last like 10 laps of the race. It just didn't, he was catching him like a 10th, 10th and a half, 10th, 10th and a half. And then it was just nothing for a little bit. But yeah, that, that 22 car, man, when he was in clean air, that thing was on rails. They it was a there rocket. Was no one that had anything for him. No, at the end, I seriously do think 12 could have got around him though. I know he was saying he was in dirty air and he couldn't get around, but I, the last couple of laps, he made up half a second in no time. Right. He was right <laughs> on him. <laughs> but I, I don't know. The cup race, it wasn't it wasn't terrible. I mean, they were able to move around quite a bit. I don't think it was the most eventful race. But, I mean, the TV is so focused on the championship four, you don't really get to see a whole lot else of what's going on. But No, no. I, I don't know if Chase would have had anything for Joey or not. I don't know, I don't man. Know, I think man. he had the, had the I think out I, of anybody he would have the nine car was it had the pace. Like they made right. a couple of adjustments and he was flying when they put tires in that thing. He ran all the way back up to like almost tenth. And that was all green flag pace, just making up the difference and running those boys down. I think that if he would have got up to the top three, got out of the dirty air a little bit, he would have had something for the 22 car. Yeah. If uh, chase could have got out to the clean air, Joey struggled a little bit in dirty air, but I mean, he still was able to stay consistently in like the top five. So, Oh yeah. It would have been, been cool to see him kind of go to battle there at the end, but that didn't work out. <laughs> no, it did not. He got chastained. He just add him to the list. <laughs> Yep. Well, and my favorite part about Ross's interview afterwards is Ross owned it. Like that is something Ross hasn't done all year. He was just, he would immediately go to, yeah, I'm just I'm doing a lot of dumb stuff, but he straight up owned it. He's like, I was there. I had the run and he came in front of me. Yep. That was it. I didn't lift. <laughs> no, nope. The Ross Chastain don't give a F tour was back. In <laughs> Facts. I knew it was going to get somebody. I was just, I was just, I didn't know who it was going to be. It was going to be one of the three, but I didn't expect it to be on a restart. But they just happened to be right behind each other. So, yes, <laughs> he restarts hard, man. They yep. said that yeah. he was the best person the whole season at making up positions right after a restart. Oh, I believe that. I mean, every every race this year, that one car was making some serious ground. Almost every restart is crazy. Yes, 100%. And he's done that the whole season. Like, two or three spots, boom, green flag, I got you too. Like, pit crew gets a couple, and that's how he's been up front for half the year. Yeah, and I mean, his pit crew was pretty stellar all day too. But speaking mm -hmm. of pit crews, man, Christopher Bell. Oh. Oh, that that sucked. I, I thought he was going to be in contention there at the end, but that last – pit stop he had i'm not sure exactly what happened but one of his crew guys got his hand stuck in there when they were doing the left rear yeah i so, don't know where he got it stuck on but all i gotta say is ouch like yeah <laughs> so i think yeah. it was actually the tire carrier from what it looked like that got is that what it, was? it looked like he got his hand pinched i don't know if it was between the rotor and the wheel or like the hub and the wheel because they had to take it back off and I, I right. really hope it was not the lug nut because that would have sucked. Like getting yeah. it pinched on that stud, that would not have been cool. Well, I saw he was icing his hand right away afterwards, but 
that could have yeah. been very scary because especially if the driver, as soon as that jack drops and that car hits the ground, you're supposed to go. Right. So, I mean, if that jack would have dropped, that could have been really, really bad. No, he'd have been missing a hand and much more. Yeah. Like, so just like really said, good on the crew's communication there, making sure that nothing bad happened there, but absolute heartbreak for the 20 team. And you were talking about anybody that could have kept up. He was the guy that was making gains on Joey the whole day. Yeah. And he got to his bumper and then that set of pit stops screwed him over and he couldn't make it, couldn't make it up after that. Yeah. I think it dropped him back to like 14th or something. Yep. He still, he still made it into the top 10, but I mean, there was no way he was going to catch back up again. No, he had the best. I think he had the best long run car overall. Like after they got some wear on the tires and stuff, I think he had the best long run car, but you're not going to be able to make up that kind of track position in that little of amount of time. No, but they'll, uh, they'll be back next year and I can see that 20 car being a contender again next year. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Christopher Bell is going to be here to stay. He's going to be good for the next 10, 10 or more years. Like he's not going to fall off. That is a fact. I think he finally found his stride at the end of this year, and he's going to be strong next season. It's going to be relatively the same car. He's used to driving it. He knows what he's supposed to do now, has the confidence, and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Right, and the biggest thing for them is going to be keeping the crew the same. Because I know, I think they did a lot of shuffling this year with crew guys, and when they started making all this momentum at the end of the year is when they had the same consistent crew guys every week. So hopefully oh, yeah. they can get that band together and they're going to be tough next year for sure. Oh yeah. Overall, it was a pretty good race though. Clean other than the Chastain thing. Like I really thought that I really thought Blaney was going to catch him, but I did I, too. I think he was told, like I said, I think he was told not to, I'm repeating myself now, but just based on his post-race interaction, I just think that's what the call was. It's very possible, but I thought there when they realized that Ross wasn't going to catch him, I when I was kind of expecting Blaney to get around him, but maybe it was they were just being super conservative. I don't know. Yeah, you never know. We're not in the ear. We're not. We don't know the codes. Like there's certain things that they say that we'll never figure out. Kind of like baseball, they pat themselves on the shoulder, the stomach, the ball cap, and eight other things, and it it means like two words, and you're like, what? <laughs> Yep, but that's what the code words are for. Exactly. So, overall, I'm going to call this weekend a win for NASCAR as a whole. Like, they had three really, really good races and sold-out crowd. I think the fans really got to enjoy it. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like it was a really, really good series of races. Yeah, I uh, I was very impressed. Uh, it just, that does nothing but help NASCAR going forward and, sold out crowd that's huge for a championship weekend so that's really good to see and hopefully they carry that momentum over into the clash and everything gets rolling pretty good in 2023 yeah and phoenix is becoming a good track to race at too it's getting worn a little bit so you have multiple grooves there's different ways to get around the track versus where it was just like you're on the bottom or you're done like that's it the kevin harvick line you either run the harvick line or you don't win Yep. Well, and that dog leg, that just makes for excitement on the restarts anyways. When they're going six, seven wide, that's crazy. That's insanity. That's why people end up in the fence, kind of like what happened to Chase, but that's just what happens. Like when you're far back in traffic and you're trying to fight your way forward, that's just, that's the name of the game. Yep. That's just how that track races. Yep. hundred percent. 
Well, we do have a guest, and you brought your dad in, which I think, again, is really freaking cool. So you have a bunch of questions for him, and I kind of want to get into this because I'm curious. Yeah, no, uh, I thought it'd be cool to have him on as the first guest because I know the first episode we were going to try and kind of introduce ourselves a little bit, kind of tell our stories, but there was too much madness going on in the yeah. playoff, so we had too much other stuff to talk about. But uh, no, I figured it'd be cool to have him on, kind of learn a little bit more about my backstory, how he got into racing, how he got me into racing and my sister and we're uh, next year, 2023 is going to be my 20th year racing. That's 80% of my life. So that's pretty crazy. I feel like I'm not old enough to say I've been racing 20 years. <laughs> that's, the, that's the reality. Yeah, you're not old enough to say you've been doing anything for 20 years besides like being alive. Like <laughs> I know. Yeah. It all started back in 2003. So that's going nuts. on 20 yes. years, that's crazy, man. And I was in like, I think I was in seventh, sixth or seventh grade in 2003. I don't remember which one it was, but like, I just remember that was the year that Alan Jackson, and Toby Keith were on the top of the charts. Like it was a good year. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I don't remember. I, I really don't even know when my memories of racing start. I would say probably around 2006 ish, mm. I would say. So Hopefully I can learn a little bit more tonight, but, uh, so dad, thanks for coming on tonight. Um, I think this is going to be pretty cool. We definitely want to have more guests going forward, but, uh, yep, 100%. Start off, I want to know how did you get introduced to racing? I know grandpa was involved with helping Eddie Berkey running a late model back in the day. And, uh, just curious at how you got introduced to racing. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I've never had to do anything like this, so it's new to me. Um, <laughs> racing is just uh, something I always enjoyed. Uh, anything with a motor or anything that went fast or loud was always pretty interesting to me. And When I first was introduced to racing, it's uh, probably about 6th, 7th grade, maybe a little before that, uh, we had a great track in Cedar Rapids, Hawkeye Down Speedway. And uh, it was uh, home to a Friday night racing, and it was one of them tracks where you had to get there at 4.30 to, to get a seat where you could see see well, and stands were packed, and hundreds of cars out there for the race. That's where I started, and some of the great uh, drivers from the eastern Iowa and Midwest, different states were there, lo raced local every Friday night, and it was it was a, a big event for the for the whole town and everybody who went there. That's where my racing actually started. Um, being in the stands and yelling and screaming at guys wrecking people that wreck your favorite driver. <laughs> people would run down the stairs and jump on the fence and cops had to haul them out. You know, the, back in the seventies when it was crazy wild and people would uh, cheer for their driver and something happened, they'd get in a fight. That that became interesting to me, so it, it kind of led me to the way of trying to get involved in it somehow and be on that side of the action. Because you, you could always go down in the pits after the race and meet the drivers and walk up and shake their hands and let you sit in their car and seeing them old boys out there and 
and the, the craftsmanship that they did trying to make things work when they didn't have the technology we have nowadays, it was always interesting. So that's, that's what sparked me into, into getting into racing. That is super cool. So if you don't mind me asking, like what year was this? Like what's the time frame? What were they running back then? This would have been 72, 73. Um, and that's when I first remember going to the racetrack. Uh, some big, big names that raced there, you know, uh, Daryl Dake. Um, oh, man, the Swazingers, uh, Doc Maynard, uh, just uh, lists of, of uh, drivers that were well-known in the Midwest. And then they also traveled a bit and raced the big races back then. Back when, you know, Iowa had a dirt track and about probably 60% of the towns in the state, <laughs> you could race anywhere at that time. And people actually made money doing that you know they they they're they made a living doing it they bring the family and you know you see the family station wagon with an open trailer and a and a dirt lay model on the back of it you know uh, that was the good old days that's how it all started and that's the way i remember it that's awesome that sounds super that sounds like something you'd hear on dale jr like back in the day that's what they were doing just to try to make a living on top of working a full-time job too and then with the hopes of transferring over to just racing cars, that's awesome. Right? Yeah. You watch you watch his uh, Lost Speedways episodes. That's what takes me back to the same style of racing and and uh, the people and the atmosphere. If you watch any of them, that's exactly what it was like when I first started going to races. Great episodes. I don't know if you've watched any of them or not, but they're they're uh, great, fantastic. I've seen a couple. Um, we don't have a lot of streaming services, so I just watch the races a lot on TV. But I've seen episodes of Lost Speedways um, here and there, and that's just awesome. That's just too cool getting to see him go back and meet up with the guys that used to race or own the tracks or, right. you know, what have you. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and Dale Jr. did a fantastic job with his history and his, his research on that stuff. And, you know, and he, he knows a lot of people, and he, he, he got in there and found some really important artifacts and found some people that knew what they were talking about. And that, that was great. And that was a, that was the same style of racing and same stuff that was happening in Iowa, you know, in the early seventies, it was just a great time to be involved in racing. It sounds like it was everywhere. Cause around the St. Let's I'm from the St. Louis area around here. We have a bunch of tracks that are very much, uh, you know, just ghost towns now, but it used to be kind of the same way. There was a bunch just in the St. Louis area, not just Peavely. There was four or five more just around here that you could go race at and just make a little series out of around the St. Louis area and all but a couple were defunct now. So that's right, pretty yeah. neat. Yeah. That's when IMCA was starting back then. And, you know, they got involved in all them tracks. And IMCA brought it to the plate where they had a rules package where these guys could build an IMCA car and race several different tracks the rules met with their car and, you know, they could travel around and race, race everywhere and small tracks. And there's another one real close to you, Memphis, uh, Memphis, Missouri is still, still racing live today. Oh yeah. Yeah. And for uh, those of you that don't know, uh, Hawkeye down speedway, it's right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's about 15 minutes West of my house right here in Lisbon. So uh, it's a, uh, I would say it's probably one of the m most iconic, tracks in the state of iowa it's been around forever i mean i've uh our good family friend johnny spa he showed me some newspaper articles and stuff from 
back in the seventies and eighties of that. And, uh, there used to be like seven, 7,000 people in the stands. It's absolutely crazy, but it was a half mile dirt track. So the racing was incredible. I wish I could have been there to see it. Um, and then they paved it in, what was it there? Early nineties. I'm going to say, uh, 88, 89, they, they, they paved it. So somewhere around 1990, somewhere in that area, they, uh, made it into an asphalt track and then it was really big with like the ASA series and actually Dale senior ran a asphalt modified there. I have pictures on my phone that I came across a while ago and he was right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa at Hawkeye Downs. So, uh, no Hawkeye Downs. That's a, that's a cool place. I got to race go-karts there a lot when we were younger. Um, pretty special place. It, it sucks because it, it's still an asphalt track and they just, they don't get hardly any cars. They don't run a full schedule anymore. They don't have the big races. So it's unfortunate, but the history of that place is really, really cool. Yeah. I remember, uh, back in the early seventies, they'd always have a guest driver. You know, Richard Petty was there. Um, uh, Allison was there, uh, Bobby Allison, um, Earnhardt was there. Schrader's been there several times, Asphalt, and believed he was there on dirt. Uh, just big names always, you know, once a year would show up there and bring the big crowd in and get to meet them. And, and I, I remember uh, walking in the grandstands and Richard Petty was sitting there. and He was uh, probably in his 30s at that time, maybe early 40s. And you walk in and you see the STP everywhere and this guy stands up, he's got a 10 gallon cowboy hat on and he's six foot tall and weighs 120 pounds. You're like, guy's impressive. Uh, very nice man. I remember meeting him. Just a great, great history track to, to be able to grow up around and see that at that time. Very fortunate to be able to be around that. That is awesome. That's when that, that dude is on my bucket list to meet, like just to, shake his hand and say that you got to meet Richard Petty because he's an icon of the sport. Like he's the guy that I would say built it through the seventies and eighties all the way up till Earnhardt kind of took the reins over. And like, that's just too cool. He was up there in Iowa with you guys. Yep. Yep. No, he's still the, he's still the man. He's, I think he, I seen an interview with him the other day. He's 85 now, 86, something like that. Yeah. Still, still going to the track, still, still involved in racing and, and still got that drive to, to be around. <laughs> that's crazy. That's something that we talked about like a couple of times now is that he's one yeah. of the guys that's at every race he's at, like he was at SEMA. He's going to be at PRI. He's at a lot of events all around the country and he just goes and shakes, shakes hands, signs autographs, does the exact same thing he did way back then that you don't see a lot of the guys doing now. And you and like my old neighbor, have stories about meeting him and i'm just like man i wish those guys would do that now the closest thing i've ever come to meeting some of these guys is uh when tony stewart kenny schrader uh kenny wallace and a couple people came down to uh peevely for a just a champions style race and just tore it up they signed autographs and it was just a fun night but that was one and it was like 2005 i think when that happened yeah yeah <laughs> It's pretty neat. You get to walk in them tracks, and then you you see the people that you see on TV, and it's like, wow, he isn't that tall, or he is tall, right? Especially a, a different perspective on it, you know. Especially like uh, 
Tony Stewart. That guy's not tall. I don't know if you've ever no. seen him in person. <laughs> oh yeah, we've met him a few times. He uh, <laughs> he's not very big. He's a super nice. From what I remember, I wasn't very old, but he's a super super nice guy though. Like to the fans, to the people. I don't know how he is to work for. Can't say anything about that. But as far as regular guys go, just a cool dude. Yeah, I, I've I've talked to Tony a couple times at, in the pits at racetracks, different places. Oscaloosa for one. I run into him up at uh, Cedar Lake. He's the kind of guy that you talk to, but then you want to go have a beer and shoot some pool with him, you know? Right. He's that kind of guy, you know? You could have a lot of fun with Tony Stewart. That's awesome. I think him, Martin Truex Jr. is in that category. I feel like he would just take you out for a beer, and the next thing you know, you'd be in the woods somewhere. Like, not not how you got there. Tracker boat on Lake (laughs) Norman, shit, fishing. So. Yeah. Yep. Good people. They're uh, fun to be around. So speaking of history and how you got introduced to racing, you did a little bit of racing yourself. So what, what got you to decide that you wanted to build a pro stock and kind of talk about how that experience was and what you did and how long you did it? Well, when I got out of high school, I uh, went to college and found out I wasn't a very good college student. So I moved back home and went to work. And uh, uh, one of my best friends from high school worked for uh, Johnny Spaw, his father. His father ran a sewer business. So this friend of mine went to work for the Spaws. And uh, Johnny was big racing at that time. Uh, He'd just gotten out of motocross and he'd got into driving cars. This was his uh, pre-ASA days. And and, uh, this friend of mine bought a, what they call a hobby stock car. And this was a class where you had, I don't know, 35 cars out there and they would start three wide from a dead stop. And the flag man would run in the middle of the track, wave the green flag and run like hell and get out of the way. <laughs> and they would race for 20 minutes or 20 laps, whichever came first. The only way they'd stop is if there was a fire or the track was completely blocked. Wow. So my friend bought a car and started that. And I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. So I started hanging around a little bit, and my my friend got uh, he did win a race. He won the the Yankee Dirt Track race, which was a huge race in this area. In that bomber car, well, then that that set your pride up, and then he decided to go to a, what they call the pro stock pro stock class, which is basically like what the IMCA stock cars are now, full frame car. But we had leaf springs at the time. Oh wow! And uh, he he bought this car, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this too. I just, I've got to get involved in it. So <laughs> I bought my first car from Johnny's ball, which was an old Ed Sanger car. It weighed, I don't know, 4,000 pounds, way too heavy, but I bought this car, drug it out of the weeds and put some money in it, got it fixed up, proceeded to go racing. And, and, uh, this friend of mine and I were, we're building our own engine in the, in the barn, getting by on junkyard motors. Uh, we could barely have enough money to pay for some machine work and, uh, put our motor together and get to the track. And, uh, my, my friend was a pretty good driver. I wasn't, I wasn't very good, but you know, I was out there trying it and, and uh, we did that for probably, uh, five years. I think I ran a car and, uh, then we started to have a family. So I got rid of the car, but still, you know, kept my interest in it and helped my friend out once in a while and, and I uh, still go to racetracks decided to get my uh, family into racing because 
volleyball and basketball wasn't real high on my list to go watch on the weekend. <laughs> Grayson was a lot better. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's too many whistles and squeaky tennis shoes, you know. Right? Right. <laughs> I'd rather. I'd rather... Go ahead. But, Sorry. <laughs> you know, I'd rather listen to a V8 with, with no exhaust on it than I would tennis shoes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> from then on, um, we uh, bought my kids motorcycles when they were like three. And I remember driving around the yard and training wheels on their mini bikes. They got the like in that and got to, I could see how they got balanced and they had some coordination. They could, they could get that going. So decided that uh, I went to a local uh, go-kart track. And I'd, I'd, I'd never really been around go-kart racing. I knew about it, but then, uh, I never knew how advanced or how technical that kind of racing was. So I went to the go-kart track with some friends of mine that was racing and uh, kind of got the hook there. I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is pretty technical, and these, these still things uh, zip along pretty good. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we started um, in the kid kart class. I went and bought a brand-new kid cart which was a a 50 cc uh like a little weed eater motor and uh at that time at this track i think we must have had 12 15 kids and we got loaded up bought a trailer and got everything we needed and started going to the racetrack every every night every uh saturday night i think it was wasn't it saturday yeah night. every saturday night yeah. i kind of got a funny story so i don't really remember the first couple years of karting and my mom always tells me, she said I was absolutely horrible when I started. She <laughs> said it was, so it was almost painful. She was like, you would sit there and I would be in the stands. Like you can go a little faster. You can go a little faster, but I don't remember any of that. Um, but I do remember the old car trailer that he had that we loaded all the stuff up on and highway 13 right here close to us. That was one of the first ways we ever went up there. The road used to be super, super rough. And I do remember we had to pull over because a cart stand <laughs> flew off the trailer. I do remember that, but any of the racing, I, I really don't remember. But yeah. this- <laughs> We started it. We actually had an old stock car trailer. Actually, it was my stock car trailer. and Flat, open trailer, and we used to bungee strap everything down on it. And <laughs> hope everything would stay. And Fine. it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we... we uh, we had to fix parts because they'd fly off the trailer. Finally, the next year, we we uh, bought an enclosed trailer. And oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, we were we were moving up. So yeah, it's uh, all small steps, every, man. <laughs> yeah. So everybody everybody loves the infamous like ingenuity <laughs> stories that Junior has on there of all the old ingenuity that those guys had. So out of nowhere, this kid cart got really fast when that happened i don't know i don't remember i just know it got really fast <laughs> do you have any insight of how it got faster well that was a uh, kid cart 101 uh, a friend of mine and i uh took a couple weekends and we did some uh, experimental stuff with kid carts um the rules were pretty much a stock uh go-kart with um, a, a chassis that had basically zero adjustments on it but a friend of mine and I spent the weekend in the in the garage one weekend with a cut and torch some tools we could uh, 
start modifying these things and we learned how, how we could uh, heat axles and bend them and heat spindles and bend them and, and add camber and add caster to these little cars and it was really making uh, a lot of difference on the track that's amazing that <laughs> yeah that's awesome and it, and, and it went um and it was very easy to pass tech nobody ever looked at that front end and we uh we spent hours dialing in and and uh, practicing and we'd go down to the the high school behind my uh, house where i live and there was a, a big uh concrete parking lot with a, like a a grass island in the middle and we'd run the kids down there and fire them up in town and let them run laps around the the high school parking lot and come back and rebend the axle some more and take them back down there and let them run some more laps and just see how fast they started to go that's where it all started that is too cool that's like a you're a cool dad i'm just gonna say that right now that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i hope he wasn't watching what i was doing because he'd have to do the same thing at at some point in his life i'm sure well i think i was young enough that i don't remember <laughs> i've, I've kind of caught bits and pieces throughout the years of things that happened and one of our good friends that used to drive him nuts we were always faster than him so if he gets to listen to this episode <laughs> our secret <laughs> yeah we, we did uh we did um we did end up going farther than that i mean we were we were fast and we were winning races and then uh the friend that was doing this uh mysterious stuff with us was uh, also fast so then I got to the point where I, you know, I need to get faster. So I started, uh, I, I, I got to be a good friends with a guy who, uh, built two cycle engines. So we started, you know, trying to figure out how we're gonna make these things faster legally and pass tech. So we started breaking engines down, trying to figure out where we could get, um, faster and faster and faster and get more RPMs, get more engine heat in it. So we decided one day we were going to take the, uh, we took the flywheel off. And let's advance this timing in this motor and see if we can get some more speed out of it. Well, That's amazing. Yeah, that works. That works great. That works great. So, <laughs> this was all the same 50 cc like little weed eater motor too, right? Yeah, yeah. And this motor really actually, it's actually uh, probably the longest lived 50 cc engine because what we did, we ended up. Uh, advancing the timing in it. Well, you can't advance the timing in it because you got a key and you got a slot where they, if they tech you, they pull this flywheel off and that's got to be in there. So me being experienced in the welding industry, I took that crankshaft out of that motor and I welded the key (laughs) slot shut and took it to the local machine shop and I showed them where I wanted to cut a new key in there. So they cut a new key and I put it in there. It was untouchable. We, uh, that's awesome. You know, we, oh yeah, we had her up about you know twelve, thirteen thousand RPMs, about four hundred fifty degree head temp. That thing's just screaming. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that that uh, that 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 really brought it to life, and and uh, we had a lot of fun with that. But uh, mind you, I was five years old at this time, so I was just a little kid out there, just holding it wide open and just having a ball, having no idea <laughs> what was going on behind the scenes. Hey, you were in this too. <laughs> Don't try to get out of it. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, um, we moved him out of that junior or out of that kid car <clears throat> class into what they call the junior animal. We kind of lied about his age, so he got to run that junior class when he was too young. Because we had to get out of that class, it was just getting, uh, it was getting kind of getting out of control, and yeah, 
people were getting pretty upset with us. And we were having some issues at the racetrack. So we moved on, and uh, I sold that go-kart to uh, another guy. And um, he went out. He said, man, this thing's incredible. I said, I know, it's just it's a good piece. <laughs> well, they won nationals on it and uh, pass tech and everything. Well, then he sold it, and he actually sold it to the guy who ended up being my engine builder for, for go-karts. And uh, his kid went out and just dominated. Now, this is like, I'm going to say this is five years on that engine. Wow. And, <laughs> and uh, that kid, uh, my engine builder's boy, went out and, and, and stomped it and and then he ended up selling it to some other guy, and I, and I kind of lost track of it after that. But that, that cart went through three people, and that we know of, that we know, and uh, still was winning races. It's probably still out <laughs> so there. Our ingenuity, <laughs> our ingenuity paid off. Uh, uh, so that, it, that was fun and uh, very competitive uh, go kart racing, uh, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. We, we traveled a lot of places, seen a lot of a lot of different people, met a lot of people. And my daughter got into it, and she was pretty crazy. She really didn't care. She won a lot of races. She was more into banging and getting tire marks on the side of her car. Body, so like so. the Ross Chastain don't give a F to her, we call it uh, Taya Allen don't give a F to her because it was either wreckers or checkers for her. <laughs> <laughs> and if she didn't like what you did to her on the track, she would either get you back or you'd find out about it afterwards. So Wow. <laughs> Yeah, she was a little fireball, but I mean, she's always, she's not very tall. So she was just a little bitty thing, but it's just a little firecracker out there. And <laughs> she actually ended up getting pretty good. She was pretty fast and I'll always get to hold it against her. She got second to me at nationals one time. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that was fun. We uh, get in the race with her. That was pretty cool. She was, she's a couple years younger than me. So we, Really didn't get to race together a whole lot, yeah. but uh, yeah. no, that was that was a lot of fun. We spent a lot of years racing karts. That's just yeah, that's, and, and karting is uh is a great way to get involved, um, and you know, uh, with your kids. And there's so many great people out there that that uh, you meet along the way and travel with, and uh, you know, and they help you out. It, it, it's a good crowd of people. Uh, very competitive, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, they're good, good, just like uh, any other race and uh, good, good people. That's awesome. It also takes like with what you were doing, that's, you, you got to know what you're getting after, what you're looking for when you're making adjustments and doing that kind of stuff. It takes a, like, you got to be a smart individual to figure that kind of stuff out. It's not just, yeah. nobody's going to come up to a go-kart and be like, man, I really think I could get like, two more horsepower out of this thing. If I do this to the crankshaft and then I'm going to make, I'm going to bend this and make, give, give, put some camber into it, stuff like that. It's pretty smart thinking. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just competition. Once, once you start getting beat or trying to figure out why is them other people so fast, you know, they've got something figured out. Yep. So yep. you got to kind of, they're not going to tell you your secrets, you know, so you got to kind of be a little bit inventive and, you know, study it a little bit and, and look at other people's cars. I mean, you, they, they can get, kind of give it away if you know what you're looking at sometimes. Oh, yeah, for sure. So Got to be inventive. You know? Well, what we used, we used well, to we do on the truck team, team is we would take pictures of the front suspension unloaded as they were going down the straightaway and then loaded as they were coming down into a corner, depending on what track it was, and take a guess at what we thought the front splitter was doing just to get an idea of what 
like what speed actually looked like. And that's kind of what you guys were doing. Take a look at what the competitors are doing. You don't want to get beat twice. So you're going to figure it out and try to win. Yeah. And, and, and in racing, especially uh, when you get up in the competitive end of it, it's like uh, you have to, you have to figure out how to watch your car. You know, you don't want to root for your guy. You want to watch his car and see what it's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, try to figure out, you know, you know that that car's not 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 working right there at that part of the corner. So you got to kind of figure out, you know, what's going on, or watch other cars and see, you know, how their cars are reacting in different situations. So, so it's it's a science that you have to study, and if you're going to be really good at it, you know, you can go out and race around all your life and have fun just racing cars. But you, you get on the competitive side of it, it's a whole different animal. Yeah. Oh yeah, you try to win. There's a whole different perspective there. <laughs> yeah, and and um, you know the behind scenes of of racing is is a job. To be quite honest with you, um, you know people can go in the stands and watch, you know, watch them guys go around the track and say, "Man, them guys are fast. They're good." But you know, to look and see what they're doing at night when they're, you know, driving home and they're in the in the enclosed trailer and there's two guys in the back of it going down the highway and they're tearing that car apart, trying to get it ready for the next race or changing stuff, you know, and there, that happens, you know, yeah. so it's the unseen side of, of what goes on when, when guys are trying to be, be good and win races, it, you know, it's a job, it's a 24 hour job. hundred percent. But it's yeah. great. You know? It's great. So kind of going off of that, um, what was, when was the turning point? For us, obviously, Taya didn't race forever, but uh, when was the turning point that you knew that we should keep pursuing racing and the go-kart stuff? Obviously, it turned into we're going on 20 years of racing, but um, what was the deciding factor that I that you thought that, hey, we could actually start winning some races and like we might get more competitive and actually travel and try and run some of this higher-end stuff and chase bigger championships? that becomes with the interest of the people that are driving the cars. You know, I'm willing to do it because I, I, I got that drive. I like to go see different racetracks, try to win races and try to race with people that are um, better than us and that are dominant. So once you see, you know, your driver that, you know, he's trying, he's, uh, he's doing well, he's listening to you. Then you start stepping out, saying, "Well, we need to we need to step up the competition a little bit and move on and and uh, see what the other side's going to bring to us. So, see if we can compete. Um, and then start buying better equipment, um, better tools, and getting more knowledge on um, the different types of racing and different uh, different engines. You know, our go karts. We had uh, I don't know four or five different types of engines we raced during the years, and uh, you know, bigger, faster. So once the driver shows that he's got interest in it and wants to do it, uh, then it's time to move on and then step up, a, step up a little bit. It's kind of where we decided we were going to do. So I'm going to guess that's roughly around when the champ cart probably came into the picture. Champ carts. Uh, we, when we started running champs, champ is a, uh, basically a go-kart with a roll cage on it. No suspension, yeah. but, uh, you have to roll, you have to wear your a harness in there and everything so champ carts came around um the our local track we raced at uh started a class where they could run the champ carts and then um they started running them weekly so we bought one and 
started messing with it and figured it out. And I had a, a, a chassis builder from um, Spartansville. Is that North? I think that's North Carolina, isn't it? Uh, South Carolina. I think it was South Carolina. South Carolina. But uh, we ran um, his carts, and he was big in the champ carts down in North Carolina. They were pretty fast. So that sparked my interest in getting into that. And then we started running them on the dirt, and then we got them on the asphalt when they were just wicked fast carts. And uh, very interesting. And we got to run some bigger motors on them. So <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that's where it came in. Yeah, we uh, we actually had a four-stroke Yamaha F200. This thing was wicked fast. So one of my favorite memories with that champ cart with that engine on it was we went to a Burris Circle Tour race, which was a big series at the time. Mm-hmm. We went over to Rockford, Illinois, and got to race on the little quarter-mile Rockford asphalt track. Ooh, had a bit well, of- I don't remember exactly how, but we ended up, getting there a little late i don't know if it was traffic or what but uh hot laps had started when we got there and there was a junior one junior two and junior three well when we got there junior ones and junior twos had already practiced and i was junior one at the time so they sent me out to hot lap with the junior threes blew by everybody (laughs) (laughs) I mean that thing was just so fast and I don't I don't remember all the details of the races like where I finished or anything in like the heat races but I just I remember I think I started did I start like mid pack in the feature Well we ran two heats and you won both heat races So I think you started I think you started on the pole can't remember how they inverted them at that time but Nice we dominated nice. that race uh, by far that was a, a quite a story on that engine too. Uh, this friend of mine, another guy that was our competition, he was he didn't like us for a while. Then he liked us. Then he didn't like us. Then he liked us. <laughs> that happens. Well, he, he, yeah, he calls he called me up one day and he says, "Hey, there's a a really nice F200 Yamaha on the internet for sale." Yeah, and we've been kind of looking at one to run this Burris series with. So I called this guy in California, is where it came from. And his daughter used it for uh, road racing out there. So I bought this motor from him, and he said, well, they couldn't do a lot to them. They were pretty much a factory motor, but he said he bought this motor, and his daughter was racing, and just it just would not run at all. So this guy happened to be friends with uh, a guy that built motors for John Force. So this guy had sent, sent this motor to this guy. And uh, this guy had rebuilt this motor and um, sent it back to this guy and put it on his daughter's cart. And she won like six races in a row with it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, it's mine. I'll I'll buy it now. And and it was every bit of the truth because we put it on our car and it was just incredible fast. Yeah. And uh, so back to the Hawkeye Downs again with this champ cart. I think it was probably two years we did it, probably. Like during the intermission every Friday night. Uh, the champ cards there was probably eight to ten of us i would say yeah we would go out there and we would race intermission just like a little exhibition race i won every one of them but one that's awesome (laughs) Uh, johnny spa's nephew was back and he ran a cart with us and we finished like i mean it had to be inches man how old (laughs) how old were you when you guys were doing all this this is probably like 2007 i would say yeah i see he was probably uh 
it's probably nine or ten. Yeah, seven, seven, eight, or nine, somewhere in there. Probably, yeah. Wow. I mean, th- this thing was just crazy fast, and I mean, there wasn't really much crazy ingenuity that he did on it either. That thing was just that fast. There yeah. was a guy I raced every week at Hawkeye Downs. He had dual Yamaha KT100s on it, and the first race out there. They asked Dad where they wanted me to start, and he said, I'll start him in the back. I don't care. <laughs> we take the green flag, and I was in the lead in turn two. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, this thing was just crazy fast, but we had a lot of fun with it until uh, one day in the shop it blew up. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. We were getting it ready for something, and then it ended up blowing up. That's crazy. Yep. That was the end of the F200. <laughs> <laughs> That's- but, you know, I got to hand it. We had uh, – I was hooked up with uh with Brian Watkins from uh, Spartansburg, and uh, I was on the phone with him all the time, talking to him about uh, uh, engines and carts, and he'd build us some carts and do things, build them the way I wanted to do it, a little bit different. He built some really good carts for us, and uh, really helped us out a lot on um, you know setting them up and, and how to race them and how to drive them. And he did come to Iowa. And uh, went to a few races with us and helped us out. Uh, so that I would say that that was really good for us at that time to have a, the, the you know, chassis rep come up and help us out. And we started racing his engines too. So that, it was it was a really good experience. That is too cool. It sounds like those things were hooked up. Like <laughs> that just sounds they ridiculously were. fast. Well, and it, it just it always blew my mind. Because being a young kid, I mean, you you can communicate a little bit of what the cart's doing. Yeah. There are some kids that are probably way more in tune with it than others. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I like to think that I did a fairly decent job of relaying information to Dad of what I needed changed or whatever. Yeah. But it, it just seemed like he was a wizard with that stuff. I mean – the amount of hours that he would work on that stuff. And then even at the track, it would seem like he'd just make one little change. He just knew what that little change was. And, I mean, it made a world of difference because when the champ cart stuff started rolling really good and we were winning a bunch of races there, that led into 2008. And I'm not I'm not trying to brag about myself on this show at all. I'm just, I'm just kind of reliving memories here. <laughs> And we were able to accomplish a lot of things on in the go-kart racing, and that's stuff I will cherish forever. But it's kind of cool getting to relive it right now and kind of remember some of this stuff. But I would say it was probably 2007 when we really started the champ kart stuff, and then that led into 2008, and yeah. that was a pretty magical year for us. Um, I believe that was the first time we won the Iowa State Championship race. Yep. I think we... I think we ended up winning that a few times, which that, that was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so with the IKF, the international karting federation, um, you had to, uh, you had to get punches mm-hmm. throughout the mm-hmm. year to qualify for nationals. And what was it like three punches a year? Yeah. It is so great. it was, uh, points races that you had to run to get those punches and winning the state championship is a huge deal. That used to be a really, really big deal winning that race. And then that led us to two cycle nationals. And um, we uh, we had done all right with two cycle nationals. We ran it every year because it was always here in Iowa. It was either at Delaware where we first started 
And then it kind of bounced around down to Newton, Iowa, and then back and forth. But it was mostly at Delaware when we were racing. Um, and we had a cage cart that we ran really, really well with. Uh, I think I podiumed every year we ran it there at Nationals, which was a big deal. And the podium was top five. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, we go into 2008, and competition back then, go-karting I don't think is anything like it used to be around here. But the competition was big. I mean – you would spend almost a whole week at nationals trying to win this thing. And, uh, little did I know we were going to win three or four classes in 2008. That's awesome. And I don't remember what class it was that I won first. I will forever remember the one class, one of the four that I ended up second. I lost the lead at the end of the race. I messed up. That'll haunt me forever. But what was your reaction when we won our first national championship? I was just hoping we were going to pass tech. That was my thing. <laughs> After all these stories, <laughs> I kind of expected that. <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, as you know, it's just, it's exciting. Um, you know, you come off the track and your carts number one and, and, uh, you know, first thing you got to do is pull in the tech and, I had a great engine builder and, uh, I had faith that everything was going to be good. And yeah, and uh, that's your first nervous part, uh, because you never know, you know, you hope you make sure everything's legal. Everything's wired up, right. you you, you weigh, you, you have the correct weight, you know, everything's pinned, everything's wired, everything meets the spec. That's the most nervous thing, um, after, after winning something like that. So. Thank God everything passed and we were good to go. So. And I, I don't remember what my reaction or anything was like during that. Do you remember how I reacted to it or I don't remember really any of it? Yeah, you were, you were pretty excited. I mean, you're a pretty young kid too. So, you know, it's another race and, uh, you know, you start getting hardware and then you, you started getting a little bit more excited and ready for the next race. So well, yeah, you... they have nice hardware in the IKF nationals. The hardware is really nice. So that was a goal to try to win them and fortunate. We were able to do that. And, uh, and uh, it's a, it's a great thing to, to have happen. And, and we were with probably some of the greatest go-kart racers in the state and probably in the Midwest. I mean, we raced a, a Newton, uh, Newton, uh, where they had the national one year. And that's where Tony Stewart got his, uh, his Duffy, his, his Duffy and Nike. Yeah. So they call the the national championship trophy the Duffy. It's uh, oh, I'll awesome. send you a picture yeah. sometime, but they're really cool. Yeah, but it's cool to know that I have some of the same hardware sitting in my house that like Tony Stewart has, and I won as many national championships as Kevin Harvick in IKF. So I always thought that was cool. And uh, some strong just stats. <laughs> and just knowing that you have some of that same hardware as the guys you grow up watching race on TV, it's just really cool. And then uh, 2008, man, that was just incredible. I I remember going to Nationals every year thinking, man, I want to win a Duffy so bad. That would be so cool. And then to win three in one year, that was incredible. And it's a pretty cool presentation when you win an IKF because they give you the Duffy, obviously. You get, um, you get a belt buckle that says IKF, uh, national champion on it, and then you get to give one that says uh champion's mechanic on it. So, I mean, I got to give them 
to different people. I gave my first one to dad, or I think I gave my first one to my grandpa actually. And then to dad and I gave my mom one. I mean, it, just stuff like that. And then after you win three national championships in IKF, you're considered expert status. They give you a gold plate. Oh, cool. And that was another cool. thing as a little kid, when you're racing against these guys and you see they have a gold plate, you know that they're a national champion times three at least. So being able to get the expert status and that gold plate and all that in one year was absolutely incredible because that's something that you have forever. Yeah, 100%. As soon as you start winning trophies, you want more is the thing. <laughs> and that, that's what it's about, actually. I mean, as far as money's concerned in raising, you're, you're never going to make any money, and it's after the hardware. Exactly. Chili, Chili Bowl, um, uh, we've raced at that track several times, go-karts and midgets, and, you know, the, the whole thing is is uh, the trophy there. You know. Yep, everybody wants that golden driller. It, do, it doesn't pay anything. I think what's it pay? Maybe ten thousand dollars to, to win, win the that. Chili Bowl. Yeah, ten thousand dollars. Really? You have that trophy panel. Yep. Yeah. It's that's just how prestigious that trophy is. You know, you have uh, the Chili Bowl. You'll have <laughs> four hundred and some midges there trying to to win that one trophy. It's uh, you know, that's what it's about is getting some of them trophies. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's why everybody does it. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's why colleague racing goes, they call it trophy hunting. That's what they're after yep. every single week. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's the, that's your sign of what you've done. I mean, you can have all the money you want, but somebody walks in and sees your, your, uh, trophy case full of some really nice, uh, hardware there. They're saying, man, yeah, yeah. it's been around the world. It, it's like it legitimizes what you actually did to get it is the thing. A- absolutely. You know, around here, you walk into some of these guys' dirt track um, garages and shops, and, you know, they got the big checks hanging on the wall, which is another sign of, you know, that's that's pretty cool. You walk in to see trophies and checks on the wall, you're like, man, that, that's, that's pretty cool stuff. The checks always remind me of Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah. He has that whole yeah. stack of checks in his trunk. Yeah. So uh, back to the timeline here. So after that incredible year in 2008 on the, the okay, so this was dirt. Two cycle nationals was on dirt. I forgot to mention that. And then we went for a little bit of change of pace going to 2009. Uh, we made the decision to go pavement racing. And we were on, it was called the Northland tour at the time. And my sister and I both raced that. Um. And that was just another incredible year. I mean, how we've been talking about with our picks every week here, and my big thing's been with the momentum. Once you get the momentum rolling, it's mm-hmm. just things start clicking and it goes better. Well, I didn't really know what to expect with the pavement stuff. I mean, I ran the Hawkeye Downs champ cart stuff, and that was really the only pavement we ran to this point was the champ cart. But then we decided to do this Northland tour, and I had no idea it was going to go as good as it did. I think Taya, Taya won the points championship in one of two classes, I think. Yeah, I, think so. I think she got a first and a second. Nice. And, again, three for four for me. For some reason, three out of four was my thing, I guess. <laughs> but I ended up winning three out of the four points championships. And I think, I think I only lost one feature race all year. 
I had no idea it was going to be that good and that our stuff was going to be that fast. I just, I didn't really know what to expect. And when we started running that, it just, it just clicked. That is really cool. cool. Yeah. And again, you know, we were racing some uh, really good people. They weren't all in our class. I mean, we got guys that we were racing now that are racing uh, asphalt, uh, you know, and uh, sprint cars. Ayrton Jeniton was racing that. Uh, Clay Money raced that. Um, Yep. We had a lot of good competition and guys that, that they weren't really in our class, but we, you know, we raced with them and we watched them and learned from them guys that and they were uh, fantastic. And that's how we learned how to race it, you know, watching and, and uh, getting around them good guys. Yeah. And uh, I ended up becoming really, really good friends with uh, Michael Sauter, which would be Johnny Sauter's nephew. Nice. And it was like, Michael and I, we, he was junior two and I was junior one. So like him and I would always have a competition with each other. We're like, all right, we both got to sweep the weekend or you suck or something like that. We (laughs) just had those little competitions together. But I mean, it was the same story for him and I, every weekend, him and I would almost sweep the week while we did, except for the one race out of the four classes, I lost the one feature, but him and I, we swept the weekends every weekend. And then when it came to pavement nationals in 2009, IKF again. Yeah. And him and I both swept the nationals going four for four, which was awesome because I got to see Michael get to finally get his expert status and get the gold plate and all that stuff. And I technically got it for the second time because that ended up putting my total to seven, which as a little kid, I would have never in a million years thought we would have won one national championship, let alone seven. I mean, that's just, that's <laughs> unbelievable. That's it's still that's one of my bananas. proudest moments of racing. I know that was, that was over a decade ago, but it's still it just being a little kid, getting to win that many national championships is just unbelievable. Yeah, and then being around the Sodders, what better family can you be around to learn how to race basketball? Right. Yeah, and we're with the whole Sauter family minus Johnny, because uh, Michael's dad is Johnny's brother, and then their other brother Jim, he's a big asphalt late model guy up in. Uh, we always called him Jimmer, but uh, he was uh, he's really good up there in Wisconsin where they're from because I think they're from like the lacrosse area. I think. Yeah, I can't remember. There. I haven't talked to Michael in. Honestly, probably been about a decade, but no, they were just, they were great people. They helped us out. We helped them out. It was just in another, like I said, 2009 was another magical year for us. And, uh, I'll forever be grateful for the opportunity to get to experience that at such a young age. That is too cool. That's a, what a cool family to get hooked up with too. Cause they're like, they're the real deal. Other than just the trucks, they do a lot of stuff that nobody really knows about. Yes. They're a big name, man. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're innovators, you know. They they got that asphalt racing down and you know, they they're winning. Oh, hundred percent. Yep. Yep. You guys were too, it so, sounds like Tanner had a pretty darn good crew chief, like guy <laughs> was up on it. Yeah, well, and it it just sucks that you gotta you got to get to be an adult before you really appreciate everything that you went through. And, and it ultimately led me to where I'm at right now. And I, I mean, I, I can't thank my parents enough for the opportunity to do such a cool thing. I mean, we could have just done what most people do and just played 
stick and ball sports all throughout school, but yeah. we got to go racing every weekend. So that was really cool. But, uh, so that leads us into the next thing. What was, what was your, this, or what made you decide that we should move in to full size cars going into a dirt modified when I was 12 years old? Well, we had some other go-kart racers that were doing that stuff. And, uh, I'm going to relate to the carters that are from Oskaloosa, uh, two of the most talented drivers. I'm sure you, if you've heard of, uh, Caden and Braden Carter, mm-hmm. uh, great race car drivers, uh, have won everything. Phenomenal. And, uh, I, I actually know them, <laughs> which, Oh, do you? Do you? Yeah. yeah. We, yeah. when I worked at a previous place, we, uh, I worked a sponsorship, like a small sponsorship deal with them for clutches. And, oh, yeah. Like, two, their dad is one of the nicest guys I ever got to talk to. Like, talk your off for, you know, 45 minutes, but it was worth it. You learned something every single time. Super nice guy. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've raced him a lot. And, uh, Braden was more of our age. Yeah. But, uh, Caden was, uh, just, unstoppable everywhere he went um, yeah i don't know how many you know i mean he's won every caden's won every prestigious trophy there is to win in go-kart race and i mean he won the wka eagles uh, i'm pretty sure he had cart triads he had i don't know how many duffies he's won drillers i yeah. mean he won yeah. all the stuff i mean i always caden was one that i looked up to always racing carts and uh Braden was my age, so him and I raced each other. And getting to beat him in 2008 at Nationals, that was cooler to me than actually winning it because right. you couldn't right. touch them. Them guys were that fast. And they're still fast. Yeah. Like, if you look at – I follow their pages. Uh, I think it's called Jimmy Carter Racing. If you follow their pages, yep. they're yep. always sitting there like top two in points. It's just amazing. Uh, yeah, they got an incredible race team, and they know exactly what they're doing down there. Their grandpa, Jimmy, is uh, – very intelligent. Uh, yeah, he's uh he's been around racing a long time. Yeah. And, and he was a go-kart racer himself, actually. So yeah, that's my mistake. Uh, I always thought that was their dad. <laughs> no, their dad's nope. a BJ. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh great family and you know, we started seeing them guys move into bigger stuff. So I'm like, you know, maybe it's time for us to to hang it up a little bit and move into the, the bigger style of racing. So we uh decided to get into uh what they called at that time was a B mod. Uh, it wasn't a sport mod. It was actually a, um, a half frame stub uh, modified, which we had bought from uh, Terry Jameson and, and uh, Ryan Doan was a driver of that car at that time. Okay. So we bought Another that car. iconic, yeah, Iowa dirt racer. Yeah. Uh, so we decided to get into that, and and we ran that for a couple of years. Had some success in it. Uh, ran, you know, three or four different tracks where he was able to run uh it was a non-sanctioned class so he was able to race that at a younger age and then uh zach less was actually in that class yep. which came from the carts and moved into that so at that time it was kind of a transition for a lot of the go-kart racers we ran to move into the move in so it was a monkey see monkey do thing and uh we just kind of said yeah we're gonna follow them along and see what we can do so what better guys to follow? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's jealous of the Carters. They are a great, great family, and they know what they're doing. So, Facts. Facts. Yep. So we moved into the dirt class, uh, full-size modifieds, and ran, uh, ran the B-Mod for a couple years. I think two years. Two years. And then we uh, moved into the open modifieds, 
which was uh, unsanctioned class two uh, before IMCA took them over. Yeah. Um, it was like open motors, um, big horsepower, yeah. fast cars. Great, it ran with some excellent racers from the, from our area, and everybody was pretty cool to us. Letting a young kid get in there and make mistakes, and really didn't have a lot of issues with people uh, being mad at us. Uh, you know, and everybody understood and and drove us pretty clean, and we uh, kind of got our dirt career started there. Yeah, well, that's all you can ask for, you know, getting into it like that. And to give everybody an idea, so you're talking modifieds and stuff like that what do those things look like and what kind of horsepower do those things make well the b mod was um was a v8 we, we had to run uh steel blocks steel heads and we had to run the holly 44 12 carburetor on it right two barrel right. two barrel carburetor um that was with the b mod and then the and they had a we had to run a nine inch uh rear end but they were four link cars so they were just like the big cars, oh, but wow. they had that, you know, less horsepower. And then the open modifieds, uh, I would say the, the, the B-Mods probably ran probably around 350, five. 400 horse maybe, something yeah. like that. They ran on fuel. And then we got into the open modifieds where you could run a, you know, aluminum uh, heads. Uh, we ran uh, alcohol. Um, you know, they'd run anywhere between, you know, six, 700 horse. Uh, yeah, those things are mean. They're, yeah, they're bad. They're, you know, open wheels, um, hike up, you know, drive on three wheels, crowd pleasers, uh, very good show. And it's it's a bit scary. Um, <laughs> I got a, I got kind of a funny story. We had a, we were going to the district wrestling for Lisbon one time and, and uh, a friend of ours, his son was an excellent wrestler and we went to the breakfast joint in the morning before uh, we were headed to the districts and this friend of mine, he was really kind of not himself. He's kind of a, you know, a happy go lucky guy. And he was kind of being a little off that morning. I was like, Hey, uh, Hey Darren, uh, how come you're so nervous this morning? He said, well, you know, my, my son could go to state today. <laughs> I'm like, well, your kid's going to go to state. He's a great wrestler. I have no doubt, you know? Yeah. You know, he, he has no doubt. He could probably win state this year. He said, well, I'm just really nervous. I just don't know how to handle this. This would be the first time this kid would go to state. I said, I got a, I got a, something I'll tell you that's going to help you out. He said, well, what's that? I said, you can take a 12-year-old kid and put him in an open modified. Actually, no, a 15-year-old kid. Put him in a modified. Send him in a turn four of, at West Liberty with 25 other cars that really don't give a shit and see how you feel after that. <laughs> kind of laughed. He said, I see your point. <laughs> So, I do but, too. Uh, if you put it that way, that is definitely nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very nerve wracking. Uh, you'll get the adrenaline flowing there for sure. But it's all good, and uh, you know, it's it's a it's a rewarding sport. It's a humbling sport, and uh, you know, it just gets in your blood like a drug, and you just can't hardly go a day without thinking about it or you know wanting to do it. You know, that is a fact. Just speaking is a. I've never driven anything but just as like an enthusiast of all different forms of racing, like once it's in you, it's you, there's no getting it out. It's just a part of what you do every day and what you think about. Yeah. And it, it's definitely a two-sided sport because you got the fans that become a fanatic, you know, where they're, 
you know, every week they're going to a track or they're driving across country to see a race somewhere, yep. you know, and they're, they're hooked on it and they love it and they understand it. And then you become a competitor in it, which now you got a whole different vibe going where you're like, I'm going, you know, I'm driving. I got to figure out how we're going to get to this next race, you know, find the money. We're selling scrap. We're yep. selling soda cans. You know, we're borrowing money uh, to try to get there. You know, and that's the other side of it. Yep. And that's the hard part of it. But, uh, you know, somehow the racers figure it out and they, and they make it. And that's where the ingenuity comes into a lot of it because, you know, I've seen guys where they get to the racetrack and they, they got a, a vehicle pulling their trailer. like, how did that thing make it? You know, but <laughs> they got a brand new uh, 420 sitting inside their race car. It's like, you know, you give up a lot to try to, to win a race or be competitive. And that, that it's, that's the drug part of it. You know? Oh, hundred percent. That's the part that you don't hear about too much on TV is like, you hear these guys coming up from, you know, started racing at four years old, but you never hear their parents side of the story and how much they had to give, put in consistently improve figure out what they need to do next because it's not just like you can stay in the same thing forever you got to know when to push to the next level and when that opportunity strikes you got to go and as the parent you got to know like when to strike and then just keep moving forward and then with you having the mechanical background it sounds like too it played a whole nother it added a whole nother aspect to it because you could just sit there and figure out like okay this needs to do this x y and z makes this thing go faster cool we'll put this thing together tanner's gonna go win this race like that's just freaking awesome yeah and that's the that's a hard part i mean you can sit there and 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 diagnose your car all you want and a lot of times you over diagnose you're like wow i did that way wrong you know right uh, so you know you got to figure out when you got to have simple and some guys are masters at that where they can every track they're like they got it figured out you know and uh, it's a very fast changing uh, sport because the track can change in 20 minutes yeah you know you get you get dry tracks you get wet tracks you get moisture comes up through them you get ruts and uh, you figure out how to have to drive through them things or have to set your car up to make make it still perform you know right that that's uh that's a really hard issue and and the guys that got it figured out know what they're doing oh yeah and it comes with repetitions it's like everything else too the more reps you get at certain places the more you know what to like with you guys going to a lot of the same tracks like if i would have been able to go to peevely or you know montgomery city when that place was open and stuff you figure out like what the track's going to do in certain conditions and stuff and make notes and just kind of go off of that Exactly. Exactly. The more laps you get, the, the better your driver gets and the more familiar they become with the with their machine and they can uh, compensate for something that the crew chief didn't get fixed. <laughs> and and cup series is the same way. I mean, them crew chiefs are smart. And they got a lot of people working on them. They know what they're doing, but yeah. there's still come yeah. to a point where, um, you know, you got to rely on your driver some, you know, and you know, Kyle Larson's a, a very good, uh, a candidate for that because that guy can take a car that's you know completely messed up and still you know go out there and whip them yeah that's why i can't remember what race that was uh, a couple years ago he had wrecked i think it was a husitz or something and tore the front axle off of it or the the front torque tube yep. bar or something and they took it back in the deal and uh they bent it back and welded it in place, and he went out and he, he won the night that next night in it. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's yeah. insane. Man. His him, Kim, Kyle Bush, and there's a handful of others are like that. They can take 
whatever is given to him and make it fast. Doesn't matter what it is. He's yeah, and it's it's their determination. You know, they have that that feel that they can say, "Well, this is what I got to do different to make this thing work." And yeah, they've got that feel and they can do it. Oh man, I just I go back to the story all the time. I just remember at Kentucky at a truck race. Um, Kyle Busch's truck was struggling and he couldn't like his team couldn't figure it out, whatever. And I'm working on the 63 truck and I see over the lot, I see some guy in a fire suit fixing Kyle's truck. And I was like, who the heck is that pops out? It's Kyle Busch. He like told his crew guys just to get the hell out of the way. And he just went and did everything himself (laughs) and ended up winning that race. He dominated, like destroyed the last in practice, terrible in practice, destroys the field in the race. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah, every he's a wheel man. He can he can get in there and get after it. Look what he's doing now in his micro and his dirt stuff. He's starting to get into. You know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's getting it down pretty good. And Brexton's no slouch either. He's pretty good. Yeah, and Brexton's really fortunate. He's getting to see all the good guys do it too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's gonna he's gonna learn from all them guys. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So I want to kind of keep on the timeline here. Uh, just because I want to try and get up to where we're at and this point in my career and everything, but yeah, uh, go for it. So I would say it was probably 2014 ish um, is when we made the switch to IMCA late models, and that was because IMCA came in and sanctioned everything. So the open modifieds, the open A's and B's, that class went away. Oh wow! And it because IMCA came in and sanctioned everything. So everyone that had modifieds had to switch over to IMCA legal. You either had to be a sport mod or an IMCA modified. Yep. So yep. we just are nothing on our car would have been legal or <clears throat> like transferable to an IMCA car. So we just decided to go IMCA late model racing. And we did that for probably, I think we split modifieds and late models about five and five. Um, we never did the greatest with the late models. I mean, the competition in the IMCA late models around here is just unreal. Yeah, I can. Imagine. I mean, some yeah, of the greatest, imagine. some of the greatest dirt drivers in the country were right here. We were racing with weekly, and I mean, we did okay. We had a few top fives and probably several top tens, but nothing spectacular. I mean, in IMCA at that time when we were running the rules would change like every other year. And it was just a massive amount of money for the rule change. And uh, it inevitably pretty much ran us out of money. So I want to say it was around 2017, I think Mm -hmm. was the last Mm -hmm. time that we ran several races. 2018, we ran a couple, I think. Then 2019, or no, I'm sorry. So 2017 would have been when we ran a couple races. 2016 was our last year that we were trying to run full time. And then we had an engine blow up in the middle of the season. So that ended our year. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, 2018 and 2019, we didn't race big cars at all. That's when I kind of went through this phase <laughs> where I thought I was going to race a little bit of motocross because I just have this thing in me that I have to be racing something. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't 100%. get, I didn't race any big car stuff at the time. I ran a go-kart a couple times and then ran, I don't know, a half dozen motocross races. I, uh, my 18th birthday, actually, we went up 
and raced indoors at the, I think they called it the sand pit up in uh, New Richmond, Wisconsin. It's where it's on the same property as Cedar Lake Raceway, oh, the dirt okay. track. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's an indoor arena there, and I got to race a indoor arena across there, and I got sixth overall on my 18th birthday, so I thought that was pretty cool. Those things are insane, <laughs> man. Insane, man. Like, that's just, that, that's, that's fast. That, like, those things are quick. Yeah, I mean, I had a, I had a KX 250 that I was racing. I mean, I was, I wasn't horrible. I yeah. wasn't the greatest by any means, but I, it's just being a racer, you just kind of figure out how to race and I did all right. But then when, uh, you see a kid on a 50 CC hit the front stretch triple and you've been doubling it all day, you're like, man, I feel like such a wimp right now. <laughs> This little five-year-old's just clearing this triple, and I'm scared to hit it in second gear and just double it. <laughs> but uh, now motocross, it was it was fun, but I was just I was getting to the point in time to where I was probably getting to be a little too big, yeah, to be racing motocross because you got to be a little guy to do that. Yeah, it's like a horse jockey; you got to be kind of small. Yeah. And then I just, I had the itch to race cars again. And I mean, it, it took a couple of years for us to even get some funds built back up because the late model stuff, it just absolutely killed us. I mean, we had fun, but it just, the rule changes every year. It was killing us. And mm-hmm. so we had to take a little bit of a break, but I didn't stop racing because I, I can't give it up. No, <laughs> it's in me for life. Well, like I've told you before, so if I didn't start, I'm not stopping. Like it'll be, it'll right. become an obsession. <laughs> right. And then at the end of 2019, I got this wild idea. So my earliest memories of racing before I actually raced was going to the Knoxville nationals for sprint cars every year. Yeah. Before we started racing full time, that's what we did every year. We would go down for the full like week and a half. We'd go to the, front row and ultimate challenge at Oskaloosa and then the 410 nationals at Knoxville. And we've, our family's just been open wheel fans forever. I've always wanted to race it, but it just, it's not offered around here. And I was trying to find a way because ultimately I want to race for a living. That's been my goal since I was probably since I first started racing car carts. That's what I've thought about my whole life. So I was trying to figure out, what was going to be the best option for me to try and get a little bit more exposure and try and like elevate my performance on the track Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just being an open wheel fan forever. I just, I, I would always, I would always send dad these Facebook ads of (laughs) either like a three Oh five sprint car or midgets or something that I would see. And he's like, well, sell the late model and we can get one like okay well i put the late model for sale and i had it listed for like eight months it was just ridiculous i'm like and i didn't even have it listed for that much i think i had it listed for eight grand turnkey everything late model we got eight grand come get it back then i'd have done that (laughs) well it was an older car it don't matter i mean (laughs) right right and i'm like so i'm gung-ho i'm like i want to get a midget i want to go midget racing i've wanted to race open wheel my whole life i want to do it so i'm just trying and trying and trying i renewed the ad on the late model like every day i had it plastered everywhere i'm like someone please buy this thing (laughs) well these like eight months or so go by and it was like a tuesday at like one o'clock in the afternoon i get this text message this guy says hey do you still have that 
2008 Mach 1 for sale? I was like, yeah. He's like, you want eight grand for it? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'm hooking up to a trailer. I'm heading your way. I'm coming from Omaha. So I'll be there in like five hours. And I was like, wait, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I called dad. I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to come home early and, uh, we got to get this late model ready to go. There's a guy coming from Omaha right now coming to get oh it. Oh my gosh. That's insane. And, uh, sure enough, man, this guy showed up and the trailer he had, it was actually kind of questionable because it's funny because this guy, he, uh, He's like, you know, he said, I just quit racing a week ago. He said, I was racing and he said, I wadded my car up and it was completely junk. So I'm like, I'm done racing. And then he said, I came across your post and he's like, damn it. I think I'm going to start racing again. <laughs> I'm retired. <laughs> Time to go. I don't know if he was like, a, had his own construction business or something, but he took like an old job trailer. Oh no. And just ripped all the shelves and everything out of it. And he showed up with it and dad's like i don't know if that thing's gonna fit in that guy's trailer i'm like dad i hate to break it to you but once that guy hands me eight grand cash it is no longer my problem (laughs) (laughs) i have to figure out how to get that thing in the trailer and we uh we got it squeezed in there barely because late models the widest part of the nose is 90 inches yeah they're wide they're super wide so but he squeezed it in there and uh we had that eight grand and i know I think dad and I split it about 50, 50. Cause he, he had something, I think an engine or something that he built or something. I don't remember. We split the money and I was immediately just scrolling, trying to find a midget, trying to find a midget. Well, um, I remember I, I met him down at, uh, my sister and I actually met him down at Oskaloosa for the front row challenge. Yeah. We were sitting in the stands and I was messaging this guy. And, uh, I told dad, I'm like, Hey, what are you doing next weekend? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, we're going to Kansas city to buy a midget. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Typical kids so, uh, telling you what to do. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so we, uh, I had my, I had my four grand cash and we went down there and, uh, ended up meeting Chad Shields and, uh, Chad, uh, ended up passing away. I think it was last year, which is incredibly sad because he was a phenomenal guy. Oh, man. He, he honestly is what got me started in midgets. Uh, anytime I had a question, I could text him or call him. He would answer right away. He would help us at the track and man, it was incredible, but incredibly sad that we lost him. Um, but so we get this midget back home and it was basically just like a bare frame, a body, nerf bars, a bunch of axles, just a bunch of miscellaneous parts. Oh, wow. So we just scrounged and scrounged and scrounged to find all the parts to finally get it together. Well, we get it completely put together, then COVID hit. Oh, man, that would have fit. Yeah, that's perfect in that timeline. We get it all together, and I'm like, sweet. We got the first race scheduled. Instead of picking a regular weekly race, I'm like, yeah, we're just going all in. We're going to go run a national race for the first race. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Well, it was scheduled. I think it was supposed to be like April or something, but, uh, so we get it all together. We had no clue what the hell we were doing because we're big car guys. Yeah. We don't, we didn't know. And, uh, we get this thing together and finally the COVID stuff starts loosening up. And I think we ended up having the first race at grain Valley, which is where Chad was from. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, we went down there with the Power I National Midgets. We had no clue that there was different fuel adjustments you had to do because they're all mechanical fuel injection. Oh, wow. Again, again, we're big car guys. We're carburetors. Yeah, you set it and go. Like (laughs) We, We literally put this thing in gear, push it off, and run it. Little did we know we were running the thing way too damn lean, and it ended up breaking yeah but uh so we go down for this two-day show somehow by the grace of god or something we made the national show on our first try have no idea how we pulled it off but (laughs) we had no idea what we were doing i mean this thing had a magneto in it and we just made it work and then uh then we i think we ran probably eight races or so in 2020 yeah and the best race of the year I was running second, running down the leader down there at Grain Valley and take coming to take the white flag out of turn four of the drive shaft snaps in half. Oh man, that's not cool. And then it over it over revved it and that's what ended up breaking a chunk of the piston off and it ended up getting coolant and oil and all that stuff. But uh yeah. turned into a fun so that pretty there's another group of people that are, are very very serious on helping you. Um get into the the racing too uh when we were racing midgets like i like you said we didn't we didn't have any idea even how to set it up or you know any anything that's completely different there's no information uh, out there either which is nuts you can't uh, find anything like if you scroll or do whatever there's just nothing out there for that stuff yeah yeah and it's completely off the wall of how you set them things up like a a sprint Mm -hmm. car and people that race in that stuff all the time are their first ones to come over and help you you know, show you what, what you need to do or help you make an adjustment, help you set your fuel pressure. Uh, just a great bunch of people. And, and you got to hand it to them to, to, that helped us get, get started in it. And we still don't know everything about them, but we sure know a lot more and have the correct tools to be able to race them cars. So uh, they're fun. And them people are great people that, that race them every week. And that honestly was the breath of fresh air running the open wheel stuff because the late model crowd around here, it's kind of clicky and everything's like a big damn secret. And it's always drove me nuts about it. Like you go to the, even the open late models, like the world outlaws and Lucas oil stuff. You look at the cars in the pit area, they got their big ass, uh, like knee pads or covers or whatever, covering all four wheel wells on the car. Like everything's a big secret. Yeah, but you, you go race. Yeah, you, you go race with these open wheel guys, and I mean, they go out of their way to come help you. Oh yeah, it was incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, they took us in with open arms. They had no idea who we were, and just super supportive, and that that made our experience really, really good with that. And so, in 2020, after we hurt that engine, we thought we were done for the year. Well. Long story short, we end up finding a team buyout out in Pennsylvania. We had never been to Pennsylvania, and it was too good of a deal not to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a complete buyout, and the price, you couldn't beat it. So we're like, oh, I guess we're going to Pennsylvania. (laughs) Drove out to Pennsylvania, and uh, we ended up buying that car that morning. Another fantastic group of people that we uh, bought that car from. They've been around the industry a long time, very, very knowledgeable. And unfortunately, uh, the crew chief for that crew we got it from, he just passed away last year as well. So 
two very, very great people that helped us along the way. They both passed away last year, but, uh, uh, we go out there, we buy the car from them and then we went to Lincoln Speedway and race that night. Nice. nice. And we were actually racing with the 410 sprint cars. It was like a 10 grand to win or something for the 410 sprint cars. It was a oh, wow. show, wasn't it? No, it was a all-stars show, I think. I can't remember what it was. You know, Kane, it, Kane was there and yeah, a bunch of them. Yeah, Casey Kane was there. I stood right next to him in the line to get our pit passes and everything. Well, that would have been awesome. But, uh, well, yeah. It was, it was really fun. That had been like right so, after. Uh, that had been tired right from after cup racing, too. Cup racing would be about that yeah. time. Yeah. Would be about that time. Roughly. Actually, I think he was driving He was driving uh, McFadden's car because McFadden was stuck in Australia during yes. COVID. So yes, that's what it was. That's when Casey was driving. Oh, wow. Yep. McFadden's car. But, uh. So we go out, we go to Lincoln, never seen this track, never been to Pennsylvania. Um, still have no clue what the hell we're doing. We just bought a car. We've literally owned this car for like two hours. And now we're at Lincoln thinking we're going to race. And those guys, they gave us a, a generic setup sheet. They kind of had it set up for us already. We go out there and I end up second in the heat race. And I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. Oh, this thing's fast. And right. We're fast. And all these guys are there they see the iowa plates on our truck and trailer and they're like who the hell are these guys where did they come from <laughs> what the heck yeah. and then uh then we go out there for the feature and between inexperience of open wheel and just really bad timing i ended up getting into the wall i think i started like second row inside or something we were like three laps in or something and i had a huge run coming off of turn four and I should have let off, but I think that was just due. I'm used to big fenders. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't quite used to the open wheel thing yet. And a guy came up right in front of me coming into turn one and I hopped his right rear and pretty much the car, the bottom of the car went up against the wall and I rode the wall around and landed flat, but that ended our night. So drove all the way to Pennsylvania, 15 hours, buy a car, go get second in the heat race and then junk it. <laughs> <laughs> and then drive 15 hours home with a junked race car. But uh, that's just the way that stuff usually goes down. Like you work your tail off to try to accomplish something that you think is going to be good. And then it turns into something different. You're like, what the heck? Yeah. Yeah. And then, then we ran it a couple more times that year and it, it went pretty good. And then uh, last year comes around and we were, I ended up selling that car just, that chassis and chassis specific parts because I had two hyper chassis and I just wanted everything to be the same. Right. So I swapped, took everything off that elite car from Pennsylvania and put it on the other hyper that I had. And we were going to run some more power eye stuff. And we went over to Macon, Illinois and drove all the way over there. It was four hours and it rained out, didn't get to race. And then, uh, and then we went down to Kansas city and ran I don't know, three or four races down there. And then the makeup race, we already had our pit passes paid for, for making for the power. I race. So we, we, I mean, you kind of have to go, it's already paid for. So yeah, 100%. we drove back over there and it just, we ended up leaving late because the promoter couldn't make up his mind if they were going to have the race. Cause it rained and rained and rained and rained. And I kept calling them and they're like, yep, yep. We're going to have it. We're going to have it. Okay. Well, we'll start heading that way. Well, we don't even get a mile from my house and the lights in the trailer just go out. 
So we turn back around, come back to my house. We work on the trailer for like an hour trying to figure out how to get the lights working. We get the lights working and we get over, we get heading to Macon and we're, I don't know, half hour from the track or something and trailer tire blows. <laughs> what the heck? I'm like, God damn it. We might, we probably should just go home at this point. <laughs> we probably should have just stayed home when the trailer lights, but we're racers, man. We want to, we want to go race. We want to go compete. We're already paid for. So right. we just want to go race. Right. That's just what you do. Yeah. And we get there and they had late models, micros and midgets. And it rained and rained and rained and it quit raining. And then they started watering the track. I'm like, how much more water does this track possibly need? <laughs> it, I, I walked across the track. I walked across the track before they uh, started hot laps and like it was pulling my shoes off my feet. I'm like, this is, this is just dumb. Yikes. So you have midgets and micros, both under a thousand pound cars. Mm-hmm. The power to weight ratio is just absurd. And then they got big, heavy late models. If you're a track promoter and the track is that heavy, what class would you send out first for hot laps? You don't send out the light guys like that. Just, I don't even know that much about that. That doesn't even make sense. Like, why would you send out a motorcycle? Like your power to weight ratio is out of a Hayabusa. Like, (laughs) well, that's kind of what we thought too. We figured they would send the late models out, but no, they called midgets. So my memory is about to go blank here, but, um, they call the midgets I had just got this thing set up right to where I thought was going to be really good for me because I knew what the track conditions were going to be and just my knowledge to this point. I was really looking forward to it. I'm like, I think this car is going to actually be really good. And my grandpa even said the same thing. He's like, because when we raced like the week before, I ended up tagging the wall, but I probably would have won that race the week before. My grandpa's like, I've never heard that car sound like that. He said, I think we're on to something here. So... They call midgets for hot laps and all the big teams like Keith Coons and Chad boats, their cars were hardly even out of the haulers. And I'm like, I hesitated whether to go out or not, but I'm like, we just drove four hours here. We had a hell of a time getting here. I'm just going to go out hot laps. Just going to take it easy. And, uh, I remember rolling up to staging. Dad was pushing me up on the four wheeler. And I know for a fact that my belts were tight and because he always has this thing that, especially in these, not so much in the big cars, just cause it's harder to reach, but he would always pull down on my lap belt, make sure that was tight. And he'd pull down on my shoulder belts Yeah, and he pushes me off onto the track and we're rolling around. And I'm like, I can hear the mud just like peeling off the tires. I'm like, That's, this is just crazy. We should not be out here right now. And I remember taking the green flag for hot laps. There was three of us. There was like 27 midgets there. Three of us showed up. Well, when we were sitting in staging, I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be going out here. None of the other guys are, but whatever, we're here. I'm going out there. And I remember the first lap, I was just barely, I wasn't really trying. I was just kind of cruising, just getting a feel for a track because it's a little bull ring. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's like a little fifth mile bull ring, super high bank, super fast. And I just remember I would barely even touch the throttle. And I mean, this thing was just standing up. I'm like, damn, 
there is way too much bite out here right now. And I was really, I honestly was really trying hard to be very smooth with it and just be easy on the throttle because it don't take much to do a wheelie in these things. And, um, I took the green flag. I remember doing one full lap and then the wreck happened and I don't remember anything. I have no idea. I remember taking the green flag, doing the first lap. And then the next thing I remember is getting a CT scan in the hospital. So dad, if you could kind of fill me in on what happened and like, what was your reaction when that happened? Because I, I have no idea. Well, it looked to me like when you, it was getting ready to, they took the white flag and then you come out, you were coming out of turn, uh, turn two on the back stretch, And I don't know if you got down low and it, you just accelerated while the car stood straight up and got on the tail and then it turned, turned you to the left and then the left rear tire hooked and just barrel rolled you down the, the uh, back stretch. I don't know, five, six times maybe you went over and wow. then landed on the top of the car. And I think that's probably what knocked you out then is when you, when you hit that. So, so it was pretty scary. Uh, no movement, you know, all the, safety teams out there looking at him and the ambulance is running out there and they get the car flipped over and you know, they're not getting him out. So you're kind of wondering what's going right. on. So finally I, I drove down in there on the four wheeler. It's like, well, I got to get down there now. So went down there and he's sitting in the car and he's moving, which makes me feel better. And, uh, still like, I don't know what's going on. So they get him up and they put him on a backboard and, get him in the ambulance and send him, uh, to the hospital. And, um, that was pretty much the story. And then he, I don't know, came to the next day, pretty much. He was knocked out for fuck silly for, you know, the whole, the whole night. And I mean, there's, the there's, uh, there's bits and pieces from the hospital that I remember. But like I said, I remember I, uh, I woke up or kind of came to when I was getting a CT scan and I was like, well, this isn't good. <laughs> something must, something bad must have happened. And, uh, and then I remember when I came out of the CT scan, I was still in my fire suit and they still had my Simpson hybrid, my neck restraint on me. I was like, well, this is kind of weird. Why do they still have that on? It's just, it just clips on like a backpack. I don't know why they didn't take it off. Yeah. yeah. Well, then they sat me up. And I looked down and both sleeves of my suit were cut all the way to my armpits. I was so mad. I started cussing out the doctors. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you realize how much money you just cost me? <laughs> and you're like, well, we just were being careful. You're here with a head injury and a back injury. And I'm like, I started moving my feet and my hands. I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> like you just cost me like five grand cutting my suit up like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, I've never had an injury like that ever. All my years of wrestling and playing football and all my years of racing, I've never had an injury like that. And just that's shows you how fast freak accidents can happen in, uh, racing. But, uh, so that was, that was obviously the lowest point of my career for sure. But I kind of skipped over a part that I wanted to ask you because I was really anxious to learn more about the the wreck just because with that 
bad of a head injury, you just you don't remember it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. um, the first time we went to the Chili Bowl was uh, beginning of 2021. So that's how I started last year off. So uh, we had actually, I had told him that I was kind of messing. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going back and forth. I just got a little carried away. But so back to the beginning of 2021, uh, I was kind of talking to a few different people about a potential rental for the Chili Bowl and everything was just kind of outpriced and just way too much for us. We couldn't afford it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, dad ended up sending me something off of Facebook and he's like, hey, why don't you call this guy? He only wants this much. It's a lot less than what we've been seeing. So. I texted the guy and uh, he ended up calling me and we had like a 45 minute conversation. And I was like, wow, that was incredible. Uh, so I guess we're going to the chili bowl. So I called dad. I'm like, Hey, well, I guess we're going to the chili bowl. So what were your thoughts when you first heard we were going to the chili bowl for the first time? Well, it was uh, kind of nerve wracking. Cause you're all right. Well, now we're going to the chili bowl. Now we're going to kind of have to prove that we can, drive a car <laughs> right. and uh, so we got kind of investigating a little bit and the guy that we were driving for is well known uh very has had some uh you know top-notch drivers drive for him so that was a little more comforting and and uh we thought well this is going to be a good opportunity for us uh, this guy's got a kind of a pit crew and he's got some knowledge on uh midget racing so we could we're going to go down there and we're going to learn some stuff and have some fun. And, and, uh, we got hooked up with Mark Bush and, uh, what a, what a great guy that guy is. And, uh, it's been ever uh, good ever since with him that we ran uh, last year with him also. Um, but, yeah. uh, what a great experience to be able to go down there with, uh, with, uh, you know, a good quality car and, and, uh, be able to, to have some fun racing chili. Oh, heck yeah. That'd have been awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and besides the fact that I qualified on Tuesday night, same night as Kyle Larson in my heat race, I start right behind him. So, <laughs> welcome to the Chili Bowl, kid. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, that Mark, he is an incredible guy. Uh, I can't thank him enough for even giving me a chance. But uh, he must have been pleased enough with how we did last year at the beginning of the year at the Chili Bowl. And then the wreck happened in June. So I was off work for a month and then I, I mean, my car was junked and yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I had to really decide whether or not I was going to be done racing or not. Cause that, that was a pretty big injury. I mean, I had a pretty severe concussion. Uh, I had two compression fractures in my back, my T4 and my L4. Um, that took an incredible amount of time to come back from. Uh, I'm, I'm, completely healed uh everything feels good i haven't had any pain in a long time but uh so i had to really think about what i wanted to do going forward like that's the worst wreck i've ever had in my life mm -hmm. and yeah. i'm already 23 years old at the time i'm like i i don't know maybe i should just be done well then i got to watching more racing and i'm like yeah this this bug's not gone I'm like, I, I can't give it up. I'm like, it's all I've ever known. I, I got to keep doing it. And uh, so then my girlfriend and I, we uh, decided to go down to Charlotte for the weekend because uh, 
my friend that I grew up racing carts with introduced me to uh, Andy Hillenberg with Fast Track Racing yep. in uh, Concord, North Carolina. He uh, he's a former ARCA Menard Series champion. Uh, he fields like four cars every race in the ARCA Menard Series, and I had talked with him several times before. Um, just nothing ever came of it. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to go down to Charlotte. I've dreamed of this place forever. I want to go down there and I want to put eyes on it. And so we go down there, we go to the Martinsville cutoff race. And I end up the day we left, I went to Andy's shop, got to meet him in person. And we had a discussion and had like a 45 minute sit down meeting with him, which doesn't happen very often with people. So I'm very grateful for that. And he told me that he had an opportunity to go to Daytona and test with him in January. Well, come to find out it's the same week as the Chili Bowl. And at this point in time, Mark Bush had asked if I wanted to come back to the Chili Bowl for him again. So I had already committed to that. And I'm like, well, damn, I want to go to Daytona. So I'm like, I'm just going to have to figure out how this works. So I, I scheduled it with Mark said, hey, let's qualify on Tuesday again because I got this opportunity to go test the Daytona. And as soon as I came back from Charlotte, I mean, I was telling my whole family, I'm like, hey, we're, I want to go to Daytona in January and test with the ARCA series. And uh, what were your thoughts when I first told you that uh, I have an opportunity to go test at Daytona? Well, I was hoping you had somebody else's billfold to use, but... <laughs> It was a little late for that, so we scrambled and uh, we decided we'd throw a race party, and we um, had a pretty good turnout. We um, kind of rushed this thing together and had a big raffle and a big party and sold some food and sold some uh, uh, racing apparel. Bunch of auction items. Had and- some auction items and put this thing together, oh, probably within a month, and... Uh, we had it in the Lisbon community, and uh, by the grace of all our good friends that uh, showed up, bought a bunch of stuff, uh, donated some money. We uh, come up with enough money that we could to do the ARCA and the Chili Bowl and uh, help fund our racing team that that uh, at that point. So um, thanks to everybody that, that came out for that. We had a good turnout and had a, had a great time. So that's kind of how we put that deal together in a hurry and, and, uh, got some plane tickets and flew from, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma to, to, um, Daytona, spent a day there. First time I'd ever been to Daytona. What an impressive place. Oh, that wow. Is. Yeah. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I've been there three or four times. It's a, it's an amazing yeah, corner. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. If you try to run up the so, corners, it's super challenging as you could ever, as you could imagine. <laughs> Well, I've been to Talladega Speedway, which is a little bit steeper, um, and that's quite impressive there, too. Uh, But what a great place to go, and we uh, went out there and watched him get in an ARCA car, and he had a heck of a time trying to dump that triple-disc clutch and and (laughs) keep the car rolling at the same time. But he got that figured out and uh, got out there, and uh, uh, I was quite impressed. Uh, I was pretty nervous that he wasn't going to be able to to get up to speed, I know that's a that's an issue with some people because of the the way you enter the corner there and and the way that corner looks being so mm-hmm. steep, you know, you know, kind of makes a person back off. But 
he put her to the floor and made a few laps and come in and they told him what he did wrong and sent him back out and I think he ended up 100 and 178 mile an hour I think is what we ended up speed wise down there but they uh, thought he did good enough and give him his ARCA NASCAR license and now we uh, are trying to move on from there yeah yeah my uh <laughs> so they sent me out four separate times and they just kept me in the car the first two well and then after the first two times out they uh they had me get out of the car for a little bit just get a little bit of a breather because andy squeezed me in in the morning session because the way my flights were i had to fly out that afternoon to get back to tulsa yeah. to finish yeah. the chili bowl and uh so i get out of the car for the first time and <laughs> i remember uh I remember dad asking, so were you wide open? I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, did you hold it wide open the first time you went into turn three? I was like, yeah, I didn't have a choice. The spotter's yelling at me. Hey, man, they're like 15 cars behind you. You better get going. <laughs> That's wild. I'm halfway down the back straightaway, and I see that corner. And there, it's no joke, man. You go down the back stretch, and you look at turn three, and that it looks like you're going to run straight into a wall. And I was just like, well, I'm going to hold it wide open. They, Andy said it. It's got tons of grip. You can't spin out. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to trust right. it. That's, and man, you feel yeah. that right rear dig in and it just, it hooks and it's like driving a slot car out there. It's crazy. That would be so much fun. Turn 178 is actually pretty, that's a decent lap. Like for any series now, even because the cup series slowed down quite a bit. So you're running pretty close well, to where they run pretty close by themselves now. You're like six mile an hour difference. Yeah. But, uh, so long story short, uh, going to Daytona, that was a opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. I, uh, I was trying to get my mom to go with us, but they didn't tell me that my sister was flying home from Montana to go to the chili bowl with us. <laughs> so that's why my mom didn't get to go. Cause she stayed in Tulsa with my sister, but, uh, it was cool getting to, uh, getting to have my dad and my girlfriend down there and, uh, a great uncle. He was down there as well cause he lives close. Yeah. So getting the family experience at the most iconic racetrack in the world. That was, that was really special. And then little, and I know that would lead to me getting to make my first start with the series this year. And, uh, our goal is to run a handful of races next year. So we have come a long ways. Little did dad know that taking a torch and putting camber in a kid cart would lead us into running (laughs) stock cars. (laughs) That's the ultimate goal, though, man, like for anybody and only a handful of people even get a shot in ARCA. So, like, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, and then you get to, you know, people that we ran within the ARCA class now, or most of them are in Xfinity. So you get to see, you know, them people are are moving on. Yeah. You keep trying and keep, uh, keep a strong head, you know things do come true so oh, exactly as long as you keep your nose down and keep going that's all that matters yep you got to figure a way out you know so that's yeah. the kind of the story of uh the tanner allen racing <laughs> <laughs> from, from uh from garage to garage basically is what we do here now we got uh my garage at home's full of racing stuff and his garage here is full of racing stuff and Sometimes the cars have to sit outside. So. Yeah, well, priorities, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool, though. You know, people come over and they're like, wow, they've never seen things like this. Or they look at the midget, they're like, 
How do you even get in that right? thing? <laughs> That's honestly my favorite part is when I got the doors open and we're working on stuff and like the neighbor kids come in and look at it and it brings people in. It's, it's pretty cool. It's definitely an, an experience getting to like sit inside that stuff. I've only gotten to drive oh, yeah. one. It was a truck for about 500 feet. It was up a, just up a driveway, but it was something that I'll never forget doing. Yeah. Like you were saying, those clutches and those things, I killed it three times trying to get it to, you know, take off. It's, That's all right. I did it in front of everybody <laughs> at Daytona. It's a different animal. At least I've been with Roger and not on pit road when right. I did it. So it wasn't quite as embarrassing, but like my first time. And as soon as we back out of the garage, I get it started and bleh, <laughs> get it going again. And well, then I get all the way around the garage and you have to start by the ARCA officials. And I killed it again when I went to take off. Well, the battery was junk in it. So they had to come. They had like six guys come push me and I had to dump the clutch in second gear to get it running. That's crazy. <laughs> but those things, you got to so, yeah. really got to get them wound up to get them to go. It's like oh, yeah. two grand, 2,500. You got to keep it at just to get it to launch. Yeah. Yeah. They're geared so high. You really have yeah. to slip them. Well, especially at Daytona, Talladega, that first gear is incredibly tall. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and I had just come from the Chili Bowl, so I'm just I just came from putting it in gear and getting pushed right? started. <laughs> and now I got to do it all. So well, you have to make your way to Iowa during uh, the summer sometime, and you get to take a stock car around track, hot lap a little bit, and jump in our car and <laughs> deal. Get some mud on you. Get some mud you on your hands. Time and a date, and I'm there. Like <laughs> that's not a hey. I got I got two fire suits and. I got a helmet for you. It'll be yeah. all good. Yeah. You, you come on in. You can't hurt. Sweet. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. So yeah, yeah make it a plan. Make we'll make plan. that. We'll make that happen this summer. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> First, we may even be close to where you're at sometime. And there's races all over. So. Oh yeah. Well, especially I was telling. Yeah, I was telling him the kind of car you guys are running. That'd be fun just to run. Anyways, I'm used to slinging that something that big sideways so that'd be fun oh, yeah. except oh, yeah. this time it'll be legal instead of allegedly on back roads <laughs> yeah. that's where it all starts yeah <laughs> well yeah man yeah man let's see i see we're a little over two hours here but we just pretty much jam-packed like 40 years into two hours yeah. so and this is, I'm just going to say it. You're, he's got an open invitation to come back whenever he wants to, because I know he's got more stories, more stuff to talk about. So like anytime you want to come back, you are more than welcome. Well, thank you very much. I uh, enjoyed this and uh, we'll see how the reaction is on the people that listen <laughs> that hear some of the stuff I tried. Yeah. <laughs> see if it's legal for me to come back in the air. Oh, it is. Trust me. Well, I'm going to have to send this to, uh, our one friend that <laughs> that I mentioned earlier because it always drove him nuts. He was the one that uh, he would love us one week and then he'd hate us the next. It, but uh, he's been a great family friend for a long time. We've raced with him a lot of years. Yeah. So uh, you know, now he can know the inside secret right. to why we were so well, fast in the kid. He'll cards. love the episode <laughs> till he gets to that part and turn it off. Be like, I'm not talking to these guys anymore <laughs> for a week and finish it. Well, I'll probably get some bad texts from him. <laughs> well, tell him I said hi, and I appreciate him listening to the show. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, guys. No, I uh, no, I figured it would be cool to have Dad on here first and uh, help us build a little momentum, have yeah. a really good conversation on here, just 
to wrap up the NASCAR season going into the off season. And hopefully we can get some more guests rolling, but no, this is cool. I got to, I got to learn some stuff tonight. Go. I didn't know all the ingenuity. I knew it was fast, but I didn't know hey, why. Everybody <laughs> has cheating stories. <laughs> right. He never got caught. So it really wasn't cheating. Yeah. Neither did a whole <laughs> bunch of the people that are on the download. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. all right, guys. Well, if you guys are cool with it, I'm going to close this out real quick. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks, yeah, Eric. Absolutely. Tanner, what yeah. is your Instagram handle? My Instagram is at underscore Tanner Allen underscore. You can actually search race car driver and you can find me that way. I did that. So it's easier for people to find me. And you can also follow me at Tanner Allen racing on Facebook. Those are my two main uh, social media accounts. Awesome. Well, guys, I just asked that you share the show. If you got any value out of this episode or learned anything, share the show. If you like it, leave us a review. If you'd ever be so kind to uh, thanks again, Tracy for coming on. And we'll catch you guys next week. All right. Talk yep. to you later. See you guys.